to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. gladly bear. And as you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's where we're going to be this morning as we, as we begin uh, continuing with the 2 Corinthians. But I want you to look at chapter 4 as a matter of review since it's been some time. But the shame and reproach gladly bear we see is something that the church of Corinth was not ready to gladly bear. They were not uh, happy to have reproach. And even though Paul was, that was some of the problems we were facing there. But then he goes, then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. That really right there is really a great summation of what we're going to look at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But if you're in chapter 4, I want to give you just a review. In chapter 4, we see that Paul continues to defend his boldness and confidence in ministry, even in the midst of all the trials and sufferings and conflict he had endured. We read that the source of his boldness and confidence is the ministry of the Spirit. You might remember that in chapter 4. His role as a minister of the New Covenant and as a recipient of a new heart, what we call regeneration, being born again. That was his boldness. Now that the Corinthians understand the source of Paul's boldness, Remember, they were criticizing him for it, and his confidence. He now moves to the question of how to harmonize the never-ending threat of death facing Paul with the ministry of the Spirit. And here we kind of tackled, if you might remember, is that many today, and not only uh, back in those days, but today, we struggle with understanding where is the Spirit moving. Many times people would look at a church or some type of ministry, And they would say, well, since all those people are there and the pastor has many videos and books and all these types of things, then that must mean God is blessing it. But Paul is saying that's not necessarily true. Some will look at a church and say, look at that church. Look, it's small. It's been struggling since all of its its existence. Its its website is, is hard. It's all, you know, still something made in DOS. That God's power can't be on there. Paul is saying, no, that's not true. God's Spirit works in a greater way. And so how do you harmonize the fact that Paul was always facing death threats and and facing such persecution? They looked at him and said, God's Spirit cannot be on someone like that. He must be on this guy that's more polished, the guy who seems to be more slick. For the Corinthians, the Greek culture, they they idolize this type of, of ministry. And do we not find ourselves today in the same thing? 2,000 years, we still are Corinthian Greeks in the way that we look at the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, Paul says that God has put this ministry of the Spirit into vessels, humans. We're fallible. We're we're vulnerable. We're temporary. 
And Paul in this had a right understanding here then of who he was. And we saw three things, and I'm going to go through them very quickly since it's been several weeks since we've been together in this passage. First, recognizing that we are human and that we are going to struggle in our ministry and in our life, Paul's weakness demonstrates the power of God. Paul says, my weakness demonstrates the very power of God. He had a right understanding of who he was and what God had called him to do. He saw his life and ministry the way God did. God said, even in the the suffering, even in the face of death, you are my vessel. You see, the Corinthians failed to see God's power in Paul's life. His sufferings do not show the absence of God's power. Rather, his survival shows the power of God and God's grace by sustaining him through those difficulties. Paul's sufferings continue to reveal God's, or excuse me, continue to reveal God's saving activity as he carries around Christ's death and then displays it for all to see. And that's what we and you and I are called to do. When it says, take up our cross, we are to display in our life God's or Christ's suffering and his death. His obedience to suffering, like Jesus, benefits those to whom he ministers to. His suffering annoys and embarrasses the Corinthians, but it glorifies God. The second thing we saw in chapter 4 is that Paul trusted God that his sufferings had a purpose. Paul trusted that God would raise him up and give him strength. Paul understood that the purpose of God's grace during those trying times would be to bring more thanksgiving to God. Hence in my prayer this earlier, in which we say, even as we go through trials... Here's something we need to understand. God doesn't always say he's going to take them away. Sometimes and many times he gives us the strength to go through them. And it's while we go through him that God is glorified. And the third thing we wanted to see in chapter 4 is Paul's motivation in serving was the hope of a final renewal. Paul had his eyes set on the proper things. Not the things of the world, but his heavenly home. Paul's hope of renewal empowered his day-to-day obedience. In other words, I know that God's grace is sufficient today. Tomorrow is a new day. We use that. That's that's kind of a motivational type thing that people have taken from Scripture and try to give it to you. But what we see is the power does not come from me, but it comes from God as God gives us the grace to face our day-to-day sufferings and trials kept God's promises close to his heart. And I ended this several weeks ago by putting this. I personally believe that in many ways, Paul was preparing the Corinthians for the upcoming persecution. Right now, life was okay for the Corinthians when this was written, around 55, 56 A.D. But in about five to six to seven years, Nero will come to power, and he is going to put a worldwide, known worldwide persecution on the church. Nero to many was called the Antichrist. He was the beast that many had thought in the way that he treated, in the way he persecuted and tortured the Christians. 
And so as the Corinthians were seen, they were saying, well, look at these apostles, look at these men of God. They are so well-polished, so well-spoken. Look at their ministry. They never suffer. That's what we want to be. And who wouldn't? Isn't that what we want? They look at Paul and they see him bent over. His eyes so so difficult, it says to even look at it. says that his speech was contemptible. His letters were very weighty, were very powerful. But when Paul spoke, there was nothing powerful about his voice or his presentation. And look at him. He can barely walk. He drags himself almost. And not only that, he doesn't take our money. He works for a living. They didn't want anything with Paul. But what Paul is expressing and saying, listen, I'm preparing you. What I'm doing is what it's going to be like in five or six, seven years. Now, I don't think Paul understood that and knew that. I'm not saying that. But what I think God is doing is preparing the Corinthians to say, this is what real ministry is. And I think we need to do that. I think that's really the the heresy and the sin that's coming from uh, the health and wealth and the prosperity message is that live for God and everything will be okay. We were watching another faith Christian movie this weekend, and again, they boil down the Christian message to, well, if you say that you love God, God loves you, then God will solve all your problems. Okay, how's that working for you? Probably many would look at you and look at your problems and say, boy, there's no way that God loves you and God is, uh, is, is in your life. He's sitting there saying, your, your, your vision is skewed, it's wrong. He's preparing them. The Christian life is not always warm and fuzzy. Many times, and I've shared this just earlier, but many times God does not heal or provide deliverance. Do you have that? Do you get that? Many times God does not heal or provide deliverance, at least not in the way that we anticipate it. There will be many people who will say, God, heal me from this disease or from this disability or from this thing. And like Paul, he may say, no, my grace is sufficient for you. He may not take away the the sin that you have. He may say, no, you're going to battle that sin the rest of your life but my grace is sufficient. And Paul is saying we got to have the right mind in the Christian life. And now in today's passage, Paul continues to share his motivation in serving God in the face of death. Okay, we can face it during sufferings and trials, but what about certain death? As well as giving them both a a word of encouragement and a word of warning. So Father, as we begin to... Uh, explore what First or Second Corinthians 5 has for us. I pray that you would begin to open up our hearts to receive it. I pray that this congregation has read this passage before, that they have been praying about it. If not, I pray that you just begin doing that work now. Let your word fall on good soil. May it find deep root. May it be watered this week as they contemplate it. May your spirit come and may it produce fruit a hundredfold. Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, my preparation, my prayer. Pray that you would be with my words and let us be able to separate your spirit's words from mine. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. Stretch us this morning, we pray. Amen.
Ready, aim, and fire is the message title this morning. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2, I'm going to give you two things that I see in this passage. What is it that got Paul, he faced death almost on a weekly, if not daily basis. And we'll explore a little bit more in that later in the, in the, in, in the, the letter of 2 Corinthians. But what I want you to see is that Paul saw in the first five verses is that the future resurrection and the future glorification is a motivation to please God. If you were to say, Paul, why do you keep on going? Even the church that you fathered is now uh, despising you and trying to make a a distance. Why do you keep on keeping on? Well, we find it in the first five five verses here of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Verse 3. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The future resurrection and glorification is a motivation for Paul to continue to live his life in the midst. Now you have to realize that really when we come down to it, death is probably man's most feared enemy. Would you agree? It's probably man's most feared enemy is death. And it is the most effective weapon that Satan uses to keep us under wraps. It's an effective weapon against boldly serving God as Paul does. For Paul, even the threats of death, and they tried to kill him several times, it does not prevent him. He gets up and he's more bold in pressing on for the ministry of God. Paul is explaining why death is not a detriment to his ministry. And he uses several metaphors for death and resurrection. And that's what we're going to look at. Is Paul is saying, I am sure that death is going to come for everyone. As Matt pointed out in Sunday school, it's 100%, except for the two exceptions that we'll give. Enoch and Elijah. They always mess everything up, don't they? you always got to be careful what you say. But as we look at here, we look and see that Paul is giving, says... Death and resurrection is a real thing. And there's several metaphors that he uses for death and resurrection, like tear down the house, death, a house not made with hands, resurrection. Taking off and putting on clothes is death and resurrection. Nakedness, being disembodied. Being away from home is death, and being at home is resurrection. And Paul contrasts these earthly and heavenly with three actions. And you see that in verse 1, we see a replacement where you take one kind of house or one kind of dwelling, one kind of living, and you replace it with something different, something better. You also see an addition where you add clothes. You put off some, but then you put on a better type of clothing in, the, in verses 2 and 4. And then the other one is elimination, where mortality is gone or swallowed up. In verse 4, he uses the the metaphor of a tent. And a tent here, he says, 
our life is like a tent. Now you and I understand tents. They depict instability and vulnerability of one's moral existence. We think of the tabernacle that the that the Moses and the children of Israel used to worship in. It was temporary. It was something that wasn't permanent. It was something that was was insta it was unstable or not very stable if something were to happen to it. You had to put it up with wooden poles. They picked it up and they carried it. Then one day they had a temple. The very same thing if you go throughout history. You can see for those nations and people that lived in tents or were nomads compared to those that built houses and built forts or built strong walls, which one lasted and which one didn't. What Paul is saying here is that he's confident about the resurrection and the glorification. In other words, Paul says death is certain. I can't escape it, I can't avoid it, and I can't deal my way out. Death is something that all of us are going to face. But for him, death was not the end, right? To death, death was just a doorway for the future glorification of the body. It was when we were going to come with God and all things would be different. For Paul is confident about the resurrection and the glorification. He had written previously in 1 Corinthians, you might remember this, in chapter 15, we saw this last year, near Easter. That the resurrection body, when we die, this, may, this body here may be temporary, it may be fallible, it may be unstable, it may be infirmity, as we saw earlier, that this treasure is in jars of clay. He had wrote that the resurrection body is a body that's made from God. It's spiritual, it's imperishable, and it's heavenly. In other words, the resurrection and glorified body is permanent. It's eternal. It will never uh, fade away. It will never get old. Sickness cannot touch it. Death will never be there. And it's spiritual. It's not made with hands. It's not something put together, but it's something that God himself gives us. So Paul says, the reason I can face death is because I have no fear of death. And I'm going to ask you this morning, what's your fear of death? You and I are not facing that in any type of way as far as the church and the ministry, but I wonder sometimes how much it does come into effect is what we live for. How boldly are we living for Christ? In verse 2, Paul alludes to the tension between suffering and hope using the word groan. Look at verse 2. He says, For in this tent, so in this human body, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Earlier, Matt had read from Romans, which was written while Paul was actually in Corinth, that not only we, but even the creation groans for the final consummation, which is the final chapter of the biblical story. You and I have to realize that this earth is not it. But you and I live as this earth is not it, or this earth is it. The Corinthians, that was one of their problems. They viewed life as if the life that they lived on earth was everything. And it's the consumption of all things. It's the accumulation of all things. That brings happiness. This is my motivation for living. But for Paul, he had his eyes pressed towards a different mark. As he says in Colossians, Set not your affections on things above, but on things above. In verse, pre, verse 3, Paul writes that we will not be 
disembodied ghosts. And this is kind of a, an interesting passage. For he says, if indeed we, or excuse me, if indeed uh, by putting it on, speaking of the spiritual body, we may not be found naked, or the glorified body, we may not found naked. In other words, he's writing about being disembodied ghosts. Many, the Greek culture, thought that when you died, and even the, the, even the Jewish, many of the Jewish culture, thought that if you died, you went into some spiritual realm and you just become some type of disembodied spirit or ghost. For naked refers to a lack of a bodily existence. And Paul here is speaking, and he's contrasting that with the Greek philosophy. The Greeks believed that in a disembodied state, that a spirit is perfect, and it was the flesh that was evil. And you might see that uh, later in the New Testament for what we call the Gnostics. The Gnostics believed that anything that was flesh was evil, and the only pure state that you could have is the spirit. And Paul is saying, we're not going to be some type of disembodied spirit just floating on. We're not going to be naked, but we're going to be clothing ourselves with something pure, something permanent. Paul reminds them that God is the one, as he says in verse 5, that God is the one who prepares the believer for this. What does he prepare us for? He prepares us for death and then for the final glorification. I'm using a big word. Let me just go ahead, and for many of you may not... Remember the message that we spoke on what glorification is? Glorification is that time after death where we're united with God and God then unites us with our bodies and we are glorified state. We see that in Revelation 21 where he says he wipes away all tears from their eyes. He says there'll be no more sickness, no more death. It says that we'll know even as we are known. It's the perfect state. It's the consummation of all things. Everything will be made new again. And that's what you and I ought to be looking for. It's where our, our heart ought to be tuned to. Unfortunately, many of us are not. And that's what was struggling with the Corinthians. For Paul in his life had his eyes set on the future. He set on that glorification, knowing that was sure. And why was it sure? Because God had promised that throughout Scripture. And not only that is the Christ and God has prepared the believer for this glorification. And he says that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. He's our guarantee in the fact that God says, I will not leave you alone in this earth. Though your body may be frail, though your mind may leave you at times, though life may be difficult and there'll be suffering and conflict and maybe even death, I'm going to leave you a guarantee of that future glorification. And he leaves us with the Holy Spirit who gives us strength to live in this world in spite of suffering. Let me ask you, how many today could give testimony to the Holy Spirit giving you strength to live in the midst of suffering and trials throughout this life? I'd love to hear them. We need to share that with others. Not something that we did on our own power, but something that supernaturally, without, from without ourselves, that enables us to live through the most difficult times of our lives. Paul says, this is what gets me through. For every beating that I take, for every time that I'm maligned, for every Christian that looks at me and says, he must not be an apostle. He says, the Holy Spirit strengthens me. He binds my wounds. 
He puts salve or salve. Sa I can't say the word. S-A-L-V-E, you know what I'm speaking of here. Salve, thank you. Where's the L come in then for? Just throw these letters out. I don't know why they do that. But he says, we put that on us, and he makes us strong. He, he picks us up, and we're able then to continue through life, even if it looks like we're limping through it. That's the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. He says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So I'm going to ask you today, what is it that gets you through life? Where's your attention? Where's your mind? Where is your heart? Is it on the things of this world? Is it on the things of this life? Or do you recognize death is coming soon and I'm looking forward to that time when God will complete my salvation? See, salvation is a one-time event in the fact where you turn from darkness to light. But also salvation is an ever-going present reality in our life as we become more and more like Christ and, 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 and freer from sin. There will be a day when that rest will finally come. There will be no more battling. There will be no more uh, striving. God just says, rest. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you long to hear those words? Paul recognized that death and resurrection is a reality. And that ought to order our lives. It ought to be real today, not just some concept or or something that we think about one of these days. Now Paul now gives them a warning and a word of encouragement. In verse 6, where he says, So, because God is preparing us for this very thing, and because He has left His Spirit as a guaranteed, so we are always of good courage. That's what Paul could say. I can face the one who holds a stone ready to throw at me. I can face the one who is ready to beat me with a stick. I'm ready to face the shipwreck. I'm ready to face the gallows. I'm ready to face the judgment of others. I have good courage, for I know that my life may end, but it does not cease to exist. We know that while we are home in the body here on earth, we are away from the Lord physically in the, in the future. Verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's what Paul says. I'd rather be in heaven with God. You know, and you and I say that, but I wonder how true that is for us, how real that is for us. I would have to say I struggle with that. How many would say, yes, I would rather be at home with, Father, with God the Father? I mean, come on. All right? I say that, but already I have a caveat. I say, Lord, come quickly. Can we have the grandchild first? Lord, come quickly. I'd rather be with God, but I hope he comes after I'm married and after the honeymoon. Or after I get a little bit more money. See, there's always something. Am I speaking to you now? Do you hear what I'm saying? What is it that you would say, don't come until... I'm guilty of this right now. 
because I'm selfish. Because I'm looking forward to that, Randy. I'm, I can't wait for that. But if God were to say, Rob, can you check your calendar? I think I'm ready to come now. I'm ready to take you down to heaven. What would I say? If I'm honest, I would say, Lord, can you, get, can you tarry a little bit? But then refuse, what's going to happen? Oh, I'd love to see him in kindergarten that first day of school. Can't wait to see him on the first day, maybe on a t-ball, prom, their wedding. Am I speaking to any of you? How heavenly minded are we? How much are we truly ready for God to come? Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, so we're going to be one of the two, right? We make it our aim to please him. Underline that verse. You ought to highlight it. You should take it and copy it and put it somewhere on your refrigerator, on your mirror. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, the word of encouragement Paul wants to give them is the assurance of God's plan. See, Paul's life is immersed with confidence because of the hope of the resurrection. I am of good courage. I am assured that what God has started, he will complete. We see that in his letter to the Philippians. And he says, even though in this life, Christians, in this life, Christians must live with suffering. I'm going to have to tell you, we cannot take suffering away. We may be able to eliminate it. We can pray that God would take, take it away. But you must many times live with suffering. We are not without assurance or resources or hope. Why? Because we live by faith. I do not see the glorified state today. I do not see my glorified body. But I trust it. I am satisfied in God's promises. That's the assurance that God says, this is what gives you courage. That though your, faith, your foes may slay you, I will still serve the Lord. Why? Because what are you going to do? You're threatening me with heaven. With something greater. That faith, that trust, that assurance is God's faithfulness. It steals Paul in the face of suffering and even death. I could believe that he's human. And there was probably times that maybe he feared of death. He said that earlier in uh, chapter 2, I believe, he's, or chapter 1. He says, we feared even to the point of death. The trial was so strong. And we're not talking at the point of death. You may fear it, but yet that there's a calm assurance that even in the midst of that, you know that God has your back. You're in his hands. The word of warning, though, is about the coming judgment. So the word of encouragement is be of good courage. Be assured of this, that God will take care of you. But then there's a word of warning. And that word of warning is about the coming judgment. For he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. For he told the Galatian church, the church at Galatia, he said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You know what? Take your Bibles. Let's do this real quickly. Turn to Galatians chapter 6 so that we're all together. Important portion of Scripture. I think we should have it together. Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to read 7 and 8 and then 9 and 10 in a moment. But the judgment seat that we see cannot be escaped. It cannot be ignored and it cannot be avoided. You know this verse. We've said it many times. It appointed unto man once to die. Then after this what? The judgment. So all will face judgment. Look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. You should be there where he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will from flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So what are you living your life for? Do not be deceived. And sometimes it's very hard, is it not in this world, to see wickedness and sin be rampant? To hear men and women who just blaspheme the Word of God and blaspheme God Himself? Sometimes it can be very, very difficult. I remember times just watching the TV and just, just almost yelling at the TV or wanting to. But be not mocked, for God is the final judge. You see, what we do does have moral significance and eternal consequences. Let's not be uh, convinced otherwise. What we do has moral significance and eternal consequence. Therefore, Paul is exhorting the Corinthians, live your lives in order to please God. That's what he says there. He says, whether you're at home in the body or we're away, we make it our aim to please him. Why? Because we'll all stand before the judgment. Look at verses Galatians 6, 9 through 10. He tells us, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the house." Hold of faith. That's what got Paul through the most troubling times of his life. Do not give up. Do what God has called you to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. God has called us to live out those implications even to the point of death. Then we also have to ask the question, what does it mean that we're going to come under the judgment seat? Wayne Grubman, in his systematic theology, writes that it's important to realize that this judgment of believers will be a judgment to evaluate and bestow various degrees of reward. The fact that we will face just ju- such a judgment should never cause believers to fear that they will be internally condemned. We hear the word judgment, and all of a sudden we come up with a negative term, and rightly so. But this judgment for the believer is not one of condemnation. So let me give you a word of encouragement here. For Jesus says, He who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. 
Here, judgment must be understood in the sense of eternal condemnation and death since it's contrasted with passing from death into life. So we ask, will all the secret words and the deeds of believers and all their sins also be revealed on the last day? That's where Paul is going to, is that there will be an evaluation of not only of all that we've done, but even the motivation of our heart. For he says, we will bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness. He also says that every man will receive his condemnation or commendation excuse me, from God. But with that, we have to realize that God will never again call our sins to remembrance. For those that have repented from dead works and put our trust to God, we understand that Scripture tells us that He casts our sins into the depths of the sea. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. I will not remember your sins, is God's word to us, and I will remember their sins no more, He tells us in Hebrews 8. But he does say that we will all appear and that each one will receive what is due for him. Again, implying that there is going to be rewards, but there may be various degrees. As he tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, whoever lays on a foundation gold and jewels and precious stones and then wood, hay and stubble, he'll be tried by fire. There's some that will be melted into something precious and then some it will be burned up. So our question today, or my challenge I should say, is found in verse 9. See, Paul realized that he needed to be faithful to the Word of God, no matter the circumstances, no matter the consequences. And he says, so whether you're at home in the body, or whether we're with the Lord, we make it our aim to please Him. Ready, aim, fire. Where are you at today? Are you ready to please God no matter what the consequences are, no matter what the, the, the circumstances are? Are you emboldened by the fact that they may take my life, my liberty, they may be able to take everything from me, but yet they cannot take from me my salvation? Would you be bold this morning? Would you be bold this week? Would you come and say, Lord, whatever you have for me, send me. I'm ready to experience it all. No matter what you throw my way. Because I trust in you. Father, I pray that we'd help see the power that's found in this passage. Lord, there are many times that we have not been bold as we should. And even though it may not be death, so to speak, that fears us, it's the fear of losing things in our life. Lord, I pray that you would do the difficult work now of searching our hearts, expose to each and every one of us those things that we hold dear. What prevents us from pleasing you with our lives? Lord, give us the power to serve you in the way that you call us to. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. 
And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.